You're listening to Not Another Origin Story, the comic book movie podcast. I'm your host, Pogues, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Chapman. It's me, Pogues. I'm happy to be here, and I want to let everyone know right up front that Act 3 of this podcast episode is going to have a whole lot of surprise Nazis in it. <laughs> Just so many. So, like, while You're... watching this, I was like, oh man, did I create like a whole Nazi subplot to this movie that doesn't actually exist? Because I, I thought the, the... same thing. Because I've seen a lot of movies where like they'll put a bunch of guys in like tan brown jackets in. You're like, ah, you know they're Nazis, but they're not really Nazis. Uh, the movie never calls them as such. I thought something like that might happen, and then I was like, oh wait, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like in the mini episode, I'm like, he fights Nazis, and then like I said, you're watching the movie, and you're like, oh, this is the mafia. They're not Nazis. And then abruptly, it's not like you said, like undercover Gestapo. It's like straight up the Third Reich in like these weird space age Nazi suits show up. It's so weird. And then a gigantic Zeppelin. And I was like, wow, they went from zero to a hundred on the Nazis. <laughs> like a Zeppelin with a gigantic swastika just appears. And you're like, oh, okay. There's no, this is not an ambiguous set of people who have appeared. It's, it's pretty weird because yeah, the movie beforehand is just all about like stunt pilots and the government and then and a and gangs. Weird, like acting subplot about like whether or not his girlfriend can get a job as an actress or I, it's a very confusing subplot. They do drop that pretty quick. I will say that we, we talked about this beforehand and I think it's generally what we do every time we record an episode is we had just like a momentary like not too many details, how do you feel? Um, what's interesting is this is another time I think that Pogues and I might might split a bit because I actually had a very entertaining time watching this movie despite um, a hefty amount of flaws that I will of course point did out. Did you watch it but, alone? Or did you watch uh, it I did. Sarah? Yeah, yeah, I watched oh. it alone. Okay, yeah? yeah, I watched it alone and just found it really boring. Like the pacing <laughs> just felt. Yeah. So, I it took me three times to watch it. It took me so long to watch it. I had to rent it a second time. Oh really? So, yeah. That so this cost me once. six dollars. <laughs> oh no. I should have just bought the fucking movie for eight. Yeah, I have that same problem sometimes. No, I was I was surprised because this is we talked about it in the mini episode that I definitely saw this when I was very young, and it falls within a bucket of movies that I have definitely thought I loved until I went and rewatched them and was like, oh wait, this isn't will, a good movie at all. Yeah, I will say that I remember the ending of the film like almost exactly, except for I did not remember the Nazi blimp, but I remembered how he kills the bad God. guy. Like, when the movie started, I was like, oh, that's right, the weird gum thing comes back. I did remember this, but But I did not remember a, uh, like, ten-minute set piece involving a gigantic fake clam at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) But in case you were um, uh, confused by the title of this episode or the intro, we are, of course, referring... We never mention the name of the film, do we? (laughs) It's written in plain English on the title of the podcast. True. People can just read for once um but in case you are uh not paying attention and you're listening to this uh on the bus uh or at the gym uh let's name a few other scenarios where you can listen to podcasts uh, uh you're at the laundromat uh you're you're in a waiting room for oral surgery uh the guy in front of you is putting in way too long of an order at a mcdonald's and you have to wait you're fixing your jacuzzi you're waiting <laughs> to free base jump into enemy territory you're a security guard listening to an old-timey radio, unaware that in moments you'll be killed by a bunch of heist guys. You're preparing for Nationals, which appears to be some sort of plane race, which I cannot believe is a real thing. 
you're downloading an episode of a better podcast and it's not ready yet. <laughs> all right. That, uh, I, think that, I think that covers all the scenarios in which people listen to podcasts. You're being held captive and someone's <laughs> trying to torture you. You're in a coma in a hotel room, but you've also been secretly awake and you can't turn this podcast off and you're just listening to it. By the way, thank you, hospital nurses, for turning our podcasts on in coma yeah. patient rooms and getting our numbers up. That's right. And getting <laughs> us a weird sponsorship from adult diapers. But we're, of course, talking about the 1991 Disney movie, uh, The Rocketeer. It's really yes. weird because we've not, I think we, we talked about this before, we didn't cover a Disney movie yet. Now we're, from going forward from here, we're about to be covered nothing but disney movies yes. because of their ownership but yeah it's it's weird this was disney's true first foray into comic book movies i believe i i mean yeah because this was i think this was one of their early attempts I, the whole reason disney bought marvel is because they've long said girls they have like the female demographic they've got locked down the male demographic eh, they, they are not like super strong in so i feel like this was their first attempt to be like we need something for the fellas, you know, like the 10 year old boys who don't want to watch Aladdin anymore. Like, you know, like they've aged out of the time where it's okay to watch a musical. And, uh, that's why they originally bought Marvel was they were just like, Oh, this is thing boys like superheroes, <laughs> which I just feel like the board of Disney is wicked out of touch. <laughs> like, I mean, they're just like, sitting there, he's like, you may have heard of this little comic that came out a while ago called Superman's. And uh, we're looking to buy a comic book publisher. Uh, but this is their first attempt based on an independent comic that was later picked up by uh, Image. And I, or I think that's who we... Yeah, Image. Yeah, we, we talked about this in the mini-episode. You know, we both, I think, had this in the back of our minds, this idea that the Rocketeer was like an old serial. Yes, like I thought for 40s. sure it was very much a, like, a contemporary of The Phantom and The Shadow. No, but yeah, first issue came out in a, in a comic called Star Slayer, number one, in 1982. And then shortly thereafter, it was spun off into its own series in the uh, early 80s. And this, so this, this movie only came out maybe about, I don't know, eight years after Rocketeer was sort of in on shelves. So it's like a short turnaround. Uh, and it is like sort that... of su- surprising because like I read comics at that point in time. And maybe I hadn't started going to a comic book store. But, like, I don't remember the Rocketeer being, like, the hot item people were talking about. You know what I mean? Like, I can't right. imagine there was that much buzz about, a like, a bizarre character. But I guess maybe Disney saw, like, the wholesome, you know, farm boy who becomes a hero and fights Nazis. I mean, that might be part of the entire, like, appeal of it is that... If you're going to have to do a comic book movie, it's way easier to do an under-the-radar comic with a limited run than trying to, like, figure out how to take 400 storylines of Spider-Man yeah. and condense it into a single movie. Also probably way cheaper to buy those rights. And, and also, when we discuss this in episodes like that, when you do a main a main line, like, Batman movie or whatever, you have to... Like, there's parts of Batman you can't touch. You are not allowed to twist, like, like play around too much with the origin story, or like yeah. having him having batarangs, or he can't shoot a gun. Like you can't play with these too much because people freak out. So I think having something with the Rocketeer is way more appealing. Um, but I feel like people might have freaked out because I'm not really sure he's a superhero. Yeah, it, or a just, hero in general. He seems to just be a guy 
who's real dumb and figures out how to hold on to a jetpack. Yeah, he's a lot like if he was... He, he, he appears throughout this movie a lot like a rookie Indiana Jones that has a rocket pack. Like, he's, yeah. he's, he could sure punch a guy, and he seems to maybe be able to shoot does he ever shoot he takes no a gun with he takes him, a gun and immediately drops it <laughs> okay which feels very you know indiana jones like it's just a like a hot potato gun knocked out of your hands like the minute you enter a fight but um but yeah so he's he, he can throw a decent punch he's brave he's got a, a a terrific jawline and a cool jacket and i think that really just sums up what puts him above the average person um, also, I guess like, the fearless. floppiest haircut you've ever seen in your life. Like, yeah. It's like a comb-over that never starts as a comb It's like as if two comb-overs grew out of the same place on a person's head. It's it, very thick hair. It's, it's, very, it's a very, like, mid-90s teen beat haircut. You know what I mean? Yes, like, a haircut that no one in the 1930s would have had. Yeah, definitely. It's really, really shaggy. Yeah, and, and, and it, it just makes you look... Uh, like a more it's very much like individual. <laughs> in the vein of uh, like the mummy haircut that uh, Brendan oh, Fraser yeah. has, where it's just like one side is really long, and you're just like, I don't understand why that was ever a style choice. What is that? That that comes up a lot with this sort of like adventuring leading man. I guess that's what they. And it's like, I mean, obviously the guy from like Uncharted looks like that because I think he's supposed to look vaguely like the guy from the mummy. I always I felt so. like. Uh, but let's but, get into to the Rocketeer. Yeah, so the premise sets this up in Los Angeles in 1938. So it would actually be, uh, what, what is that in, in, in the time frame of actual World War II? I mean, uh, 38 Germany is already annexed uh, Austria, and I think that's the same year they they pushed into Poland. But okay, I don't know yeah, so, when this so, film takes place if the actual war is started. Right, which we are not involved days. for quite a while. Which is weird, considering how organized they are at the end of this movie. But that's oh yeah, they're yeah. like straight up like complete Third Reich. At the, like, yeah. for, like according to this movie, the Nazis have already like they're at the peak of their game. Except for the fact they're still flying a blimp, which we'll get to and, that. Scene. And they can't seem to figure out good rocket technology, despite having some of the best rocket scientists in the world at this yes. time. Yes, yeah, it feels like somebody didn't research where rockets came from <laughs> at all while writing this movie, because our rocket program is based entirely off of Nazi scientists. Hey, Bill, we're doing the Rocket Guy movie. What's a rocket? I don't know. Who we'll made it? Probably Howard Hughes. Based on what exactly? <laughs> Uh, um, Howard Hughes, who appears in this movie to be Nick Fury, because he can control what the FBI says and does, and is also, uh, he's like Nick Fury and Tony Stark rolled into one. He's like a super inventor, controls what the FBI does, uh, but really doesn't seem to do anything to help. Also, uh, and I think some people I know out there will enjoy this, it, I couldn't shake it when he was talking. I'm like, I fucking know this guy. I know this actor. And oh, then I yeah. realized, it's Terry O'Quinn, a.k.a. John Locke from Lost. Yes, <laughs> that was like, that's what? right. But rocking a good old mustache, as was like just about everybody in this movie, because as we pointed out in a mini-episode, a Bond has made an appearance. Is this our first James Bond? Have we had a Pierce Brosnan movie yet? No. Oh, no, yeah. I think this may be our first Bond. We we had a Connery. We must have, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, extraordinary gentleman. That's right. Yeah. We did. Yeah, we had the original Bond, not this so, fucking two bit Bond. <laughs> so this is our second Bond, and and in order of Bonds, probably fourth or fifth. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, he's uh, it depends on how you feel about George Lazenby. Uh, um, but uh, he, highly he, underrated. He, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Really? You think so? I mean, oh, that's yeah, for, yeah. 
Uh, also, this is unrelated to anything, but if you guys have Hulu, I think it's still on there. There is an amazing documentary about how George Lazenby became James Bond, and it's like the most insane story. It's really weird. At one point in the like documentary, you realize how upset he is that he never stayed with this girl that he knew, which keeps coming up. It's really weird. But he basically just told them he was an actor and they gave him the role. <laughs> he just I mean... lied to everybody. He's one of my favorite parts of this movie, though. Like, he's, uh... I'm talking about George for... Lazenby, not, not Dalton. Uh, well, right, right, right. But I'm, but I'm getting back to Dalton is what I mean to say. Is he, oh, Dalton's, yeah. Dalton's my favorite part of this movie. He just, um... He's here for this movie. Uh, I think post... He might be the only one. In fact, for the rest of this podcast episode, uh, 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 Pokes, we can go ahead and rank our actors on a scale of Dalton for most committed to their role and Alan Arkin for most looking for the exit. <laughs> yeah, Alan Arkin, who apparently, like, hit a director's son him, or something, way. like, I, hit his yeah. car and was like, this is what the judge decreed he had to do. It's He does not... I guess the thing is, too, I'm like, wait, I like Alan. Because I looked it up and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Because he's not trying at all. And I was like, alan arkin (laughs) but he just seems like he checked out but i couldn't tell if like the overacting was supposed to be on purpose like i almost feel like it was a directing thing to be like nobody play it serious play it like it's an old movie yeah it feels like some people might be interpreting like a take from a movie they watched when they were younger but other actors are much younger and don't have that experience because this whole movie is definitely a, a big, big, big love letter to uh, old serial adventure yeah, films. Yeah, both which is what the comic that, was. Yeah, both because the comic is, it feels like one, it's shot and written like one, and even in it, there's an actor playing a swashbuckling adventurer in a movie within the movie. So yeah, the movie definitely had yes. a taste of Hollywood, or as I later learned, hollywood land <laughs> yes which did you know did you not know that story i did not know that story yeah it used to be called hollywood land until a mudslide took out the part of land and they Is just that real never... yeah that's what it used to be called in the 1930s that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard why, why would we okay and then like i said there was a, like a landslide to... during like the one time it rained in los angeles i thought that was just like that was just like them being like it's not quite our universe it's it's just close enough no because uh, i actually have a note that i'm like why are so many fucking movies so obsessed with explaining why the word land was dropped from hollywood because it's in like 10 movies something that blows just, up that sign someone drives through it. i'm like yeah i got it they changed the name let's move on so if you were to rate um our leading man here uh billy campbell who Looks like a guy that every time he's on scene, you're like, oh, he's from that one thing. No. He, I'll tell you what he looks like. <laughs> he looks like they went to cast Bill Pullman. Yeah, Bill Pullman from the president from Independence Day. Sure. And they accidentally gave the contract to his stand-in for a movie. Because <laughs> the whole time I was like, I feel like this dude looks just like somebody else. And I looked it up and I was like, Oh, they look very similar when they were younger. And I feel like they were just like, let's get Bill Pullman. He was like, I need $2 million. And they're like, let's get someone who kind of looks like Bill Pullman. Because <laughs> it's weird. Like, uh, And I don't know where I would put him on the scale. I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I would put him pretty high up. He, he feels really committed. And, and the, him and who he plays against for most of the movie, which again um, is, is, uh, is Timothy Dalton, they're both 
really, really interested in this movie. I could. Feel. I will say and, this. And they're supported by acting. characters who are either given like a weird single word name like Goose and don't do a lot, or they're just sort of faded in and out of every scene. So the scenes in which those two are either the primary focus or where, especially when they're fighting, I think this movie shines. Um, I will say this. I think that... Uh... The poor man's Bill Pullman is acting and trying. I just don't think he's doing a good job because I think I, I genuinely think he's trying to do an imitation of something. But what I, don't I do know. I don't not know. If I, got know. That vibe. I just I didn't. Just, I just felt like his acting was really unnatural. I felt he had to play sort of a naive um, daredevil, uh, uh, sort of hot-headed adventurer like like serial type, and I think that requires sort of being uh, uncharacteristically aloof. And I feel like that's what he's doing on purpose. I felt like the scene where he runs after Jenny and takes his hamburger with him, I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. Well, someone should good have ev- said no. <laughs> pretty good evidence of, against it. But what I did like, I mean, just about his character and about the whole movie, is that it's just, it's just this kind of big uh, set PC adventure, like wholesome fun movie which i don't hate because when they make movies that are uh quote unquote for the whole family i frequently you know they're not for the whole family they're for children because children are dumb and the parents just have to deal with it but where there's like one dirty joke in it the kids won't get for the parents to like try to offset it to be like huh that was a joke about wieners but this this one takes a couple of ingredients from the comic and a couple of just fictitious ingredients like oh is the mafia uh oh there's ultimately nazis we're going to get to here in a minute um there's the government there's there's all these uh, uh you know you, you know like this is like this love triangle of organizations that all hate each other and in the middle of it is this kind of goofy floppy haired adventurer type who flies around um and i gotta say about <laughs> most of the way through the movie i'm like okay i've seen him fly a couple different ways he flew outdoors he flew indoors <laughs> like how is he going to solve more problems with a jetpack? <laughs> like, well, what's weird is he's not particularly good at it. And he I mean, probably causes fair. more damage and harm than had he just run to wherever he was trying to get to. It's I... very weird. And you are right, though, because <laughs> up until the end of the movie, he never has a gun. So it's not even like no. he's like, oh, he could fly and shoot at people. And he never flies by and like punches somebody. He basically, I would say 90% of the time, gets away by blind luck. He also at one point says, I, I, I have to take the rocket because I have to get there quickly. And I'm like, well, I mean, now you're just telling me that this is just a fast way to get from one point to the other, which really is like sort of taking away some of the glory of the whole rocket. Yeah, it's really just here. like a really fast taxi. But I will say that, I mean, like and we're going to get into like specifics as we always do. But, but I just wanted to say up front that structurally, this was a solid movie. I mean, it introduces uh, a, a, a potent conflict. The characters overlap. They learn a lot about each other, which leads to more conflict. There is a ridiculous set piece in the third act that we'll talk about here in a minute. And um, and, and, and while there are performances that are lackluster, uh, the core performers are just like delivering this kind of warm, friendly movie that I, I could... I watched it, and I know you had trouble watching it, and you had to re-rent it, but I watched it about, just about one shot uh, pretty happily. That's interesting. So, guys, Ben's dumb. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Something's wrong with him. No, um, 
let's let's but, go ahead and let's just rate real quick. Where did um, Jennifer Conley come? Oh, uh, she's my, she's my young man crush, which she, I found out still is active. She's uh, one step above Alan Arkin. She does not want to be there. Yeah, yeah. Also, I think it's because maybe when she signed on, there wasn't a script in which she is like. It's one of those things where like she she has the role of a woman in the 1930s which is to say like she's marginalized at every turn and is just like forlorn and love struck and the damsel in distress and really has no agency so i wonder if like meet midway through the filming she was like this kind of blows like it's a movie it doesn't have to be accurate to the way people really treated women she just has like so little to do other than to date a real doofus yeah and, and then, gets super and, hit on by and then and then, and then and then and then and then uh sort of date the villain like yeah which is she like goes kinda, on a date. she basically just goes to a restaurant with him though after he thinks that she could he, she he says you could be an actress so i don't even know if she's trying to date him or she thinks it's just like a professional dinner in which she wore a very nice gown yeah i i, I kind of like got confused there because we're introduced this character which by the way i thought this was interesting um in the rocketeer comic his his uh, girlfriend of sorts is actually named, this is not a joke, Betty Page. Wow, so this guy just didn't try it off the writer? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. And so I wonder actually, why they didn't, why they changed it. And, and it, it's, it's, it, yeah, they actually had to, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's spelled differently. Like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look it up right here. Without the I? Yeah, it's spelled the normal way, I think. That's insane. Girlfriend Betty, yeah, is modeled after the Queen of Pants, Betty Page. Yeah, yeah, so it's just spelled the normal way instead of with the I-E, <laughs> which is how the, the real Betty Page does it. But, um, and so they had, they, they gave her clearly the same look, but they obviously, they couldn't even use that name because that would be infringing upon the actual Betty Page. So they had to. Yeah, yeah the mo- like one of the most iconic female models in the history, like her and Marilyn Monroe were probably the two most famous female models. Yeah, uh, so they had they had to rename rename the character. Do you think they Jenny. pick the name Jenny because there's a scene later where her for some reason her phone number is written on a wall at a restaurant, which seemed sort of weird. Uh, her 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 number is written up there with the phrase "Lady Luck," which which they say a couple of times as if that's pertinent. Or well, my my thought was was it did they pick Jenny because then it's like that song. You know where the guy sees Jenny's phone number written on a wall? I don't know. Eight six Yes you do, eight six seven five three oh nine. You've never heard this song. The eighties song? Alright, this is ridiculous. <laughs> How could you never have heard this song? I've heard this song. I was gonna say, I'm you better fucking be fucking with me. I'm just fucking with you. But um so Because that's so, like when they cut to it, I was like seriously why is there and it has like a heart written around i'm like why who would do this who would put their phone number on the wall in a public place in a weird diner but we're introduced to this jumble of characters which introduced to cliff who's ultimately the rocketeer uh his sort of mentor called peavy weird name uh played by alan arkin uh his girlfriend jenny played by jennifer connelly uh and and you know we sort of i guess that's why they named her jenny now that i think about it yeah it could be we, we, we gather some of the villains later on, but the, the introduction is the idea 
that Cliff is a hotshot, I guess, trick pilot is my assumption. Because they uh, keep talking about no, nationals. Here's, here's what's happening. As near as I can tell, nationals is a plane race, which I can't imagine is a thing because that would be super dangerous to have planes that close together. But I guess oh, it was the boring. 30s. So maybe because they take yeah. off and then they're like, oh, they're gone. Well, they'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah. And also the other thing is like all of these planes were like, too new for the 1930s like i'm like you couldn't buy one of those planes they didn't really start making those planes i don't think maybe they did i don't know but it's just like i don't i I just can't imagine that was a thing to be like we're gonna fly planes super close together to see which one's faster like at least just be like fly a distance and land and we just time you and then we have somebody i don't know that was like what they were trying to do but apparently he used to be a trick pilot who would fly dressed as a clown, which I mean, yeah, I don't know how you could tell what he was dressed at when he's in a plane. Some sort but... of clown act on a biplane. But they've moved past it, and they've got this hot new plane that they're excited to use, and Cliff takes it out on a test run. Uh, in doing so, he passes over a car chase scene, and then makes probably the, probably just, just I mean, it should be in the handbook of flying a single, like, a single craft, uh, you know, aircraft, is, is um, if you see a shootout, don't go buzz it. <laughs> Don't yeah, buzz Yeah, also, what's weird ass. is, like, there's two things weird about that. He's like, hey, there's cars down there. Let me get close to him. Super dangerous. He sees them firing and is still like, let me investigate further. But then the guy in the back of the car was like, I need to, I need to stop shooting at the people shooting at me and fire at that airplane that just passed by real quick. <laughs> like, and also... The dude in the back of this, it's like a car with, like, the old rumble seat, like, where you flip the trunk up and there's, like, a, a seat in the back of the car. It's, like, super dangerous. Uh, but he's, like, in the back shooting at these police who are following him with the Tommy gun, and he can't hit shit. Like, he doesn't, it'd be impossible for him to miss. It's a car less than three feet behind him. He misses, but then a plane flies by. He expertly turns around and hits, like, all of the vital parts of the plane as it buzzes by it was so weird and then what's, what's the, funny though is because he he perishes in this scene he's shot yes and presumably where he was shot suggests that he was probably shot because he took away time to gun down yes. a civilian aircraft. <laughs> that's what i mean the fbi is behind him shooting at him just blind firing at him and a plane buzzes by and he's like that's the real threat <laughs> it's so weird so then they get to the so yeah the, the, so, the, so, so the getaway Cliff- ends on the airport which is what what uh, I mean? What chance? <laughs> <laughs> Cliff aggros this weird gangster <laughs> yeah. somehow um, pulls it away from the tank. The result ends up with him um, forcing to ditch his vehicle as he lands, uh, crash it, uh, more or less. Uh, completely destroys the plane. Completely destroys the plane. Uh, the surviving. Uh, th- hold on. Did you did you think that this this last gangster looked familiar? Because I swear to God. I thought I recognized him, um, and I couldn't. Was it Clint Howard? It seemed like it was Clint Howard, but I oh, it may have been because I think he's in the movie. Okay, I think it was. I, th- I think now when we were talking about right. people in the movie, I, I think yeah. we were like Clint Howard. So what I'm pretty sure is Clint Howard, or at least Clint Howard's even lesser known brother, lesser known Howard brother, um, Mitch. You know, uh, pulls pulls a common thing we see in. I think this has been in a couple movies where they they ditch the thing that everyone's after. Um, yes. but which is weird because so he ditches the the, the rocket pack which he's stolen from mm-hmm. howard hughes uh which is a cool heist and i would I, I would rather watch a movie about heisting howard hughes really actually come to think of it um especially if the result is getting a rocket pack 
but he steals the, the rocket pack um and and he gets out he needs to ditch it so he grabs like an old like i don't know plane muffler i guess no no it is a vacuum cleaner Thank God that it's a vacuum cleaner shaped like a rocket for some reason that he just pulls the cord off of and then drives away. And as he's driving away, I guess he got shot. I never did exactly figure out what happened, but he just plows straight into a fuel truck. I mean, just without pausing. What's interesting here is I don't get the plan. So he, he swaps the rocket pack for a vacuum and ditches the rocket under a seat. I, I believe plane. I believe his plan was this. He would then lead the police away. They would eventually catch him, obviously. He would be put into jail. The mob would come, and he would say, Hey, I hid the rocket. Here's where it's at. Go get it. And then they sure. would go get it. But he would need to make the FBI not stay at the airfield for just in case they found it. But instead, he blows up so no one knows it's there. So it, it's not a great plan. <laughs> Well, well, let me let me impart this to you. If I decided that I needed to lose this valuable item so that I could make sure that when I'm inevitably caught, I don't have it, fine. That would make sense. If he grabbed this thing and just threw it under a plane or in a, an old crashed plane seat where no one would see it for however long and then left, that'd be fine. Except he replaces it with a vacuum, which the minute he's caught, they're going to be like, hey, this is a vacuum. <laughs> But interestingly enough, they it's, think it's the rocket when it catches on fire. But only by coincidence, because he is he 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 strikes the fuel truck and it explodes. That is what leads them to sort of be like, ah, oh, well, there this must be it because it's like it's destroyed. But it's no, but when they show attention. it later, when they show it later, it's just slightly like sooty. It's like it, it did not get damaged in the explosion at all. It's basically like they took it and they were just like, I don't know, throw some dirt on it. There we go. Survived. It's so weird that I'm like, wouldn't you know instantly that's not a rocket pack? Also, Howard Hughes' men take way too long to figure out it's not the rocket they built. Like, the second they opened it, they should have been like, yeah, that's not the rocket we built. But it appears to take several days for them to realize it. Yeah. Um, like, as if this... they were like, I thought it looked different. But this gives us a chance for um, us approaching Pogues, and I timed it, our origin story formula. Uh, as discussed in previous episodes, we found that the best, most efficient movies can at least get you the titular character in his role by the 30-minute mark. And I gotta say, by 40 minutes, he's still not using the rocket pack. <laughs> so, yeah, it is a long opening with very little payoff. I will, I will, I will admit some criticism. There is um, the first and second act have some pacing issues for sure, uh, but eventually, I, uh, there's a, we, we arrive at a scene that I'm a big fan of which is them testing the rocket on what appears to be a wooden statue that they saw down from somewhere. Yes, they cut down a statue from outside of the airfield, which I don't know why, I guess it's whoever the airfield's named after, but... Uh, Howard J. Plane. This is his name. Um, the guys. Plane is in P-L-A-I-N or P-L-A-N-E? The, the inventor of the, the plane, the airplane. The inventor Top. of the plane? Yeah. <clears throat> it was... It was uh, the he, runway was named after George Runway, the inventor of runways. Him and his, him and his brother, Carl S. Flight. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, uh, yeah, so the whole... Later opening... far up by uh, David L. Terminal. Uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's like... Um, 
I don't even know how really to describe the beginning of this movie because nothing happens for so long. And then, oh. like, this is, like, very much a film where, like, the first 30 minutes is just, like, every stupid thing that could happen to lead to, like, where we need to be happens. Like, the weird car chase, the weird shooting the plane, the weird crashing into the gasoline thing. A lot of coincidence, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that he has to fly the one plane so that for the show on Saturday... Uh, he gets like they test the rocket then he shows up two minutes late which it doesn't make sense because the race appears to still be going on the plane race but they were gonna have a stunt plane show go at the same time then what the fuck are people there to watch the plane race for? it's like being like are you here to see nascar sweet pay no attention to that shit because we're gonna have a guy doing donuts in the infield <laughs> like it's just so weird but well, what's the he's two about- minutes late and so somebody decides to do it for him well, here's this fucking strange... One of his crew decides to do it for him, but he's, like, out of practice. What's strange to me is, after the Rocket Man does his shit at the end of this scene, um, we see what is definitely 15 reporters running off to report this story. It seems like all the mob is there. Yes. Because they chase him after. I'm sorry. I, how popular are air shows at this time? <laughs> apparently they were hot. But apparently only popular among reporters... Because when they show the stands, there's about 47 people there. So at least one-third of it is reporters, and the other third is mafiosos. <laughs> it's a very weird clientele who comes to air shows. And then the rest are people who appear to be from, like, the Dust Bowl of America, like, during the Great Depression. It, it, this movie never looks like it takes place in L.A. until all of a sudden they're like, by the way, we're in Hollywood. And you're like, what? Why? Yeah, <laughs> like, I, there's, I actually There's didn't know no it. reason. Like, there's no airports, like, next to Los Angeles at that point. Like... It's just such a weird thing to include. Uh, but I guess they had to explain how they were filming a movie there, and back then they didn't film movies other places. I don't know. But Yeah, <laughs> because our central tie-in to our villain is the fact that um, our boy, uh, uh, Errol Flynn knockoff. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, he's straight up, like, doing the Flynn. Uh, Errol Flynn knockoff, uh, his, his name's Neville Sinclair playing um sort of a three musketeer type in a movie being filmed there in which uh the tie to the main cast is through jenny who is an extra on the film but also because he is secretly orchestrating the theft of the howard hughes technology which i mean later on we understand because of the nazi connection but he seems to i mean i know like the mafia guy that he's having do this asks him why but i'm curious more like I mean, you work in the mafia. You're not really mercenary, right? Like, nobody... yeah, that's what they. But that's the way they set it up. Is like you can get any like mafia don to just do whatever you want if you got like seventy five bucks. <laughs> that's the confusing thing is that they're not like pay for hire, as far as I understand. You can't just stroll up and be like, "Hey, I need to steal this. I'll throw some money at you." If you said like, "Hey, I'm gonna get a bunch of casinos going and then rob them blind, like, and then and then collect on the insurance," they'd be like, "Oh, hell yeah, that's our business." But or like, yeah, or if you were like, "We're gonna start illegal gambling. We'll cut you in for a percent if you you'll let us do it on your turf." It they're very they're not just like, "Hey, I need you to steal something from Howard Hughes," and it appears as though too is like, uh, Paul Sorvino, who's the mob boss, he appears like he's supposed to be like. The Godfather, like, he's in charge of, like, a large portion of, like, he's, like, the head of the Los Angeles Mafia. And it's, but he seems to be involved in all the day-to-day runnings of all the stuff they're doing. Like, we need to find this guy. Get the boss. Drive him down here. Let's implicate him in as many crimes as possible. 
It's yeah. so weird. That's an incredibly good point. Is yeah, it's 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 rare that the Don would be present. At, yeah, usually at, you like, try to keep that guy away from being able to be uh, prosecuted. Yeah, that's very true. It's literally that's how the mafia true. works. Um, b- before we go past the airshot, I do want to point out that uh, something I missed was during the test flight that ultimately results in the crashed aircraft. Um, as he's coming back in, he's been shot. He's pouring oil. He's got a engine fire, and his plane is smoking, and it's lurching through the sky. And as he's p- pivoting around, the main pilot mechanic goes, uh-oh, I think something's not right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this thing is, like, basically a ball of smoke at this point. You can't even see the plane, <laughs> and the guy's like, hmm, that doesn't look usual, I don't think. It's, this is, like, also, too, uh, when they start testing the rocket, is like when you realize like you're like ooh 90s didn't have good special effects but i I, there's something i just wanted to touch on is uh so after the he saves the day sort of at the uh the air show but in which he still it's a plane just like blindly crash thank god it didn't go to the grandstand uh he like flies away because he can't steer and uh he gets picked up by PV and they need to leave. And he like jumps in the back of the truck and just holds onto it and turns the rocket on. So they drive away really fast, but the mom pulls up and they all get out. And did you notice the one guy is just eating a box of popcorn? Yeah. Yeah, I did. When did he just... fucking stop to get popcorn? <laughs> Cause they were all at the air show. Uh, yeah. But when during like the time he was supposed to be searching for something, was he like, he was like, well, do they have Cracker Jacks? It just reminded me of that Seinfeld where she stops to get candy at the <laughs> movie theater when she finds yeah. out her date was in an accident. Um, it, yeah, it's just, uh, it was really weird, but it made me laugh. And then, like, the mob boss just, like, knocks it out of his hands. Like, yeah, I don't think that's how mob bosses work. <laughs> uh, then soon we're introduced to, what do you think of the, uh, the like, the 1930s pulp? Uh, villain that they introduced the guy with the weird head god this like the bizarre guy? prosthetic yeah that like just so made his weird. face look it would be totally normal if we were watching the dick tracy movie because yes it's like he it's looks straight dick up like tracy a dick tracy thing. villain yeah and i remember that character he reminded me of like jaws from like the bond movies which probably made timothy dalton feel at home although did he ever fight jaws i don't remember but um yeah so it's hard to say uh but but yeah he's got like Okay, so if you could scale um, um, makeup on one to ten, they went fifteen. Like he looks. Oh yeah, he like looks a like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Like <laughs> that that level much. of prosthetic. It's his way face is too much. If you guys are old enough, he looks like the old McDonald's spokesman that was like a half moon with a body. <laughs> like yeah, his face, his lower face is so long, and I'm just like, why? And they never explain it. There's no payoff to it. He's just real ugly. That's it. That's the whole thing. Just a real ugly guy who's kind of tall. Um, this guy's name on IMDb is Tiny Ron. Yes, that's apparently his name. He was on like Deep Space Nine or something. He's in a lot. He's a major character in Deep Space Nine that I would never try to my heart do. I mean, I don't watch that show. I haven't watched the show. So I, I yeah, I just happened to look him up earlier because I was yeah, like, I mean, who the he's fuck is this guy? If if you watched a movie in the late eighties, early nineties that had a giant man in it i mean he's yeah. ace ventura uh as like one of like the thugs that you would probably recognize if you saw him i mean he's in 
a ton of weird shit. It's it's pretty amazing. Roadhouse. I mean, it's great. Um, uh, he was I in Roadhouse. Some, yeah, he's I, he's a guy named Mountain in Roadhouse, which just feels, you know, right. Uh, <laughs> but he's like. He's this weird offshoot because I couldn't quite nail down if he was a member of the mafia or some sort of like bodyguard. No, he for appears Flynn. to be Flynn's like. By the way, his name is Neville, but we're gonna call him Flynn because it's way more easy, way easy to remember. Which is mostly because I forgot his character name and I thought his name was Flynn. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. Yeah, he's like some sort of like Nazi agent who helps him or something. I don't know what the fuck he is to be honest. But... I mean, he's he's Lurch from from the Hot Fuzz movie. I mean, he's he's, he's Johns from Jaws from from uh, Bond. But uh, uh, despite despite those characters tend to just be big brutish guys who will throw you through a wall, he he will do that. Or he'll sport dual pistols <laughs> and yes. dodge bullets, which is amazing. This is like this movie should have been called. Man, the FBI was fucking shit. <laughs> like, first, they fail at catching this guy who stole this rocket. But then they show up at who they think has the rocket. They, as near as they can tell, these people found the rocket in their hangar. They, there's no reason to think they have anything to do with this. They show up and just destroy this. They just start firing into this guy's house. Because one guy fires a gun out. They don't know if there's any, like, civilians, children, women. They're just like, well, somebody shot at us. Fire every round of our guns into this building. And somehow they miss everyone inside. And then they just run out the back. And they're still just shooting the front of the building. Like, they didn't surround it or anything. They were just like, that's the front of the house. That's the only way you can leave a house. It was very bizarre. But I also love this character because if he was... Um, I always like referencing things this way, but if he if he was a character in a game that I was DMing, I would have that person remake their character because he can do it all. Apparently, he's a master gunman. He's a gigantic man that's impossible. He seems to show up in places like parties and restaurants without being superbly noticed, which is impossible because he's nine feet tall yeah, and, and has a face, face like chewed gum. And he has a, he has like four faces pushed together. And then he also does like hand to hand combat. He, he 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 seems to just like cartwheel through a window and escape the police masterfully. So I'm just like, dude, you can't you, you can't be this overpowered. I nerf this guy. I mean, he's yeah, got a hard nerf. He's just whatever you need him to be in the moment. Yeah, which is which, yeah, which makes him one of my confusing. favorite characters in this movie without yeah. a question. And every time they show his face, I just felt like hmm, I feel really bad for the guy inside this makeup because I bet you it was like super uncomfortable. I mean, but, the only, it seems like the only, like, you would be like, so far this movie has proven that if, if someone has a Tommy gun and stands 20 feet from you, they will miss you with the entire drum of ammunition. Yes. They will not hit you. The, in fact, the only time that this movie proves that there's a thing to be dangerous is driving a field truck near the airfield. Yes. If you do that, you will be hit and you will explode instantly. It, it appears to posit that if you're an American, Tommy guns can't hit you. Because when the Germans show up, <laughs> they all die. <laughs> But if that you're is American, if you're an American, <laughs> those guns just do not work for you. It's a very <laughs> weird thing to include. Uh, this um, is also like at the point in the movie where um, Neville takes Jenny to dinner because he he realizes he figures out that she is dating the guy who found the rocket because he overhears them talking. So they're at this really weird club that has like a set piece, like a centerpiece, which is like a giant clamshell. 
which I assume was like half the budget of the movie, was making this giant clamshell that really pays, does not pay off at all. It's very weird. Um, but there, this scene includes some of like the most bizarre parts of this film. Arguably, as you said, this is a Disney movie, right? And it's probably geared towards kids, you would say. Yeah, yeah, I would say. Uh, while at dinner, they decide to throw in that they run into... Like, the Howard Hughes thing, I'm like, alright, kids don't know who Howard Hughes is, but it doesn't really matter. You know, it's not, like, really important. You know, maybe parents will know that, whatever. But they introduce a man who is doing the fucking worst W.C. Fields imitation in the history. And a a man who's very easy to imitate because he has, like, one of the most distinctive voices ever. This guy is doing... It's, like, really bad. It's grossly bad. It was, like, the Nixon impersonation in Watchmen. It's just, like, uh, doing an imitation of a famous person that you've never actually listened to. Yeah, it's, but like I was when, like, it's like when someone tries to do an accent and they just overdo it on every syllable. It's, that's what this guy sounds like every time he speaks. Yeah, he's not even doing like the traditional like sort of like it's just a terrible imitation. But then in my mind, I was like, I was like, wow, this is the worst impersonator. I've, and he looks nothing at all like W.C. Fields. Yeah. But then I was like, because I was like, maybe that was it. They, they would cast somebody who looks like him, but he doesn't. But then I th- started thinking, I was like, who the fuck is this in here for? It's the 90s. Parents aren't going to probably remember W.C. Fields that well. And two, no kid knows who the fuck W.C. Fields is. It would be like, it's just so absurd. It's like a cameo of a person that's not famous anymore, especially for children. It's just so weird. I could not figure out, like, why. It's very out of place. And and if you think Pokes is drawing it out of, like, 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 nitpicking it out... Uh, he's not. It's a significant chunk of the restaurant scene. Yes, and they, they make sure to address his name. Yes, they make it's so. It's like he gets like eight lines. He has more lines than Goose, the guy who tries to fly the plane and forgets. He's like the third main character at that point. It's absurd. That is incredibly accurate. Um, this scene also surprised me because um, this woman goes up to sing, and I, I was I was like sort of looking away and, and typing a note down. I turn and I was like it's jan yes um, when i looked i was like i was like this woman looks so familiar what's she from and i typed in i was like oh that's it that would have bothered me forever it's jan levinson gould from the office doing like a fucking serenade song in front of a giant like oyster shell it's pretty wonderful I, it, it's, it's but it's also too i was like was this woman like a famous singer no no they just picked a random actress <laughs> just and and i was like i looked and i was like she had enough credits that i was like what an odd choice to pick her for a role in which she has no real speaking lines. She just sings. And she never appears in the movie again. But there's like six or seven close-ups of her singing. It's really, it's like, this scene felt like they were like, we need to pad this movie a little. Let's get a W.C. Fields impersonator in here. Find me a starlet who can sing and build me a fucking giant clam. It's really weird. But the thing in this scene is, did you notice the best comeback in the history of cinema is in this, uh, this like, whole part of the movie? No. Uh, I don't remember the line that precedes it, but Neville shows up to talk to Paul Sorvino, who's, I don't know what his character's name is. And uh, he's, like, basically, like, talking down to him about how he fucked up and didn't get it. And he's like, you know, like, what do I pay you for? And he says something like, oh, he said, well, I'll, bl-, uh, Sorvino's like, I'll blow everything. I'll, I'll tell the police what you're really up to and he says who are they going to believe some two-bit mafioso 
or the number three grossing actor in Hollywood, which I was like, why couldn't he be number one? But that's what he says. And he like makes a face and he leaves. And then Paul Sorvino throws something at the door and goes, number three, jerk. Yes. That's just the, the door closed. He could have said it. I mean, one, the guy is gone, but like he could have said anything. And all he comes up with is number three, jerk. It, yeah. I rewound it because I was like, that can't be the right line. That's that made me laugh more than anything else in the entire movie. Oh. Uh, no, I know that guy has the props. What you, I would agree with you is probably one of the worst lines in the movie. But then he has the best line in the movie, which is at the end when the guy's like, the finally comes out that uh, Neville, uh, the Flynn-like character, is a Nazi, and uh, and he's just like, I may be a criminal, but I'm an American. It's just the most. Which I feel like is something that like every politician has said at some point. <laughs> yeah, that felt. <laughs> yeah, that felt it uh... is great. Which is, I will say, um, it that is historically accurate. The mafia did actually really help America during World War Two. They provided like. Uh, security for docs to make sure and they helped route out uh nazis uh or root out however you say it to actually find them so it is like a weird like thing they were like well, we need to give the mafia it's it's due for helping yeah but it is I mean, funny because he is like i may be a criminal i may earn my living uh committing crimes it's like yeah that's it's what a criminal is but he's just like but i'm american it's so funny so and again though as we pointed out, this is a mafioso who, if you get paid a couple thousand dollars, he'll just do whatever you say. So I don't know why the fuck he gives a shit that the Nazis paid for it. Because at this point, the Nazis really... Yeah, I mean, like, nobody knew how bad the Nazis were at that point. Like, they were bad because they were taking over Europe. But in 38, that's when Time Magazine named Hitler Man of the Year. So it's weird that, like, this guy's like, no, no, no. I know shit's going to get real bad when we get over there. And we're going to find out they are monsters. It was just like a, like a weird thing because I mean, let's face it, Nazis are the easiest villains in the world because everybody knows they're the worst people. <laughs> so um, this is all tied into the plot through the character Neville, uh, who is the Flynn type that uh, apparently uh, is encouraging them to shoot in certain regions so that he can get information and all this kind of stuff, which apparently I was unaware was a real theory that was put out at the uh, uh, in the in the 80s about Errol Flynn himself. It's it's super unsubstantiated. In fact, a lot of people, including Flynn's direct family, have fought it voraciously. Um, so uh, there's a lot of a lot of like lack of evidence on the idea. Um, someone published a book called Aaron, Errol Flynn: The Untold Story, which goes into it in heavy detail, but again lacks corroborating evidence. So um, it was weird to me that, that that was an actual idea that existed before the movie. So clearly some inspiration there. Um, uh, but that like I, I did a lot of reading on Errol Flynn actually when I was watching this movie. I was I, pretty surprised by it. Did you at any point? Uh, at one point. Um howard hughes shows this like nazi superman like rocketeer cartoon video which i was just like i felt like when disney was like we're gonna make this movie they're like you gotta put in a little cartoon whatever you want but I- i'm sure you've have you ever heard like the theory that uh walt disney was a nazi like he was a yeah. nazi sympathizer and he turned state's evidence and reported on everybody who went to the nazi rallies in america so that they wouldn't prosecute him and i like so i was just like it's like, I feel like they just found this in a vault. And they were like, yeah, just use this video. <laughs> like, I, we don't know. This one's called Walt's Private Films. Just throw that one in. 
But it like it was just like it felt like one of those things where I'm like, are they doing this on purpose to like try to distance everything? It did seem odd. And it seemed odd that they were like Hollywood people, total Nazis. <laughs> it just like was like a weird thing to include. Um, but I do love his fucking secret Nazi room hidden behind a book called The Adventures of Casanova. Is that what the book was called? Shit. Yeah, it's like the no, it's like the conquest of Casanova. It's a real book, but um it's just like fuck you <laughs> you well, did sleaze you, bag did you also notice that it appeared he had art deco porn on his walls yeah which she comes out there's like this weird art deco painting of like a woman in like a see-through like negligee and you can like kind of see like where they did like an art deco nipple and i was like what a weird and plus he lives in like king tut's tomb like what the fuck was with the walls in his house they had like it was like the inside of a predator ship there's like these weird boxes everywhere. It was very jarring. Also, a great scene is Did you notice that when he goes to find the dresses for her to try on? That's his fucking bedroom they're in. <laughs> so yeah. those dresses are in his closet. Which I was like, interesting. Are they is this gonna go somewhere? No, it doesn't go anywhere. He's just I assume it's just it's just because there's lots of other women that he's apparently kidnapped and brought back to his place. Which I much I much prefer they were trying to say something else. <laughs> also, it, he uh, he okay. drugs he drugs what's it, uh, Jennifer Connelly and brings her back, and then this, he is like trying to lie to her to say that like he's being blackmailed into helping them, and then he quotes a movie he's in, and she's like, "Oh, you said that to like you know some actress," and then he tries it immediately afterwards to quote another film like dude don't don't go back to the well like once you get called out just kind of maybe not repeat another film you saw it's really i was like i was like that's a ballsy play by him (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean he's he's playing this like weird snl version of like errol flynn like he 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 reminds me of um uh oh god i forgot the name scratch it (laughs) all right uh, He'll remember it in a minute. It's going to be gold. Yeah, it's no, it won't be. Uh, not at all. But uh, we would be remiss if we would go this long, Pose, without talking about the best scene in this movie, which is where uh, all the sort of enemies collide uh, against the Rocketeer. The government, the mafia, Errol Flynn, and his Nazi collaboration, uh, they all uh, arrive at the famous observatory in L.A., and yes, which for some reason they give a different name in the movie, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, was like, odd. Why not just name it the actual place? The whole intent here is to hand over the uh, rocket pack. Uh, uh-huh. and, and this is where the the mafia learn that they're actually working with a uh, Nazi uh, German agent. Um, and they are. that's where we deliver the line about being an American, despite being a criminal. Uh, and then at this point, he shouts in German and... <laughs> so much german and then <sighs> germans like they're the fucking clay people from so or whatever those people were man. in the, Spi- the japanese spider-man show where they just like appear out of nowhere nazis just pour out of the bushes where they were at no clue but they just get and also it leads to the question is if he had that many nazis why did he bring the mafia with him at all he didn't need him there like yeah there's so much going on here because it's fine that he's a like it's a great plot twist that he's secretly a Nazi and that's why he's fighting so hard to get the jetpack. It's great. Except I mean it's it's pretty extreme to assume that his plan to to gather this high, high tech from Howard Hughes involved him having 
what is a small battalion of German soldiers, and then more importantly, the biggest Zeppelin ever created. Uh, there is what has to be my favorite scene in the movie. This made me laugh out loud too. Is all these Nazis appear, and then all of a sudden you hear this noise, and from over the top of the observatory, a a, a dirigible appears with a gigantic swastika on it. But they act as though like it snuck up on them. It's a fucking like it's like three city blocks worth of balloon. How did none of them see it when they drove up? They move so slow. It's like but they do this like it's jaws like coming up out. It, it if, made me laugh so hard. I, I started laughing so hard. You cannot hide a blimp in fucking LA. There's just no You can't way. hide a blimp anywhere. They're anywhere. Huge. And that's what we They're loud. They're gigantic. And as as this scene, it tells us, utterly worthless in every conceivable respect. Because the minute it shows up, everyone yells, "Don't shoot anywhere near it! It will explode in an instant!" And I'm like, "That's not good for any kind of war." <laughs> oh yeah, war. It, it's so I, good, and I just—it's so dumb that like I, it made me laugh just because of the way they play it. But yeah, everybody's afraid of it, and then like. They get on it with the rocket, and they're just like, well, they win. And I'm like, well, I mean, I know that girl's on there, but just shoot the blimp. Like, it'll blow up. You just said it'll blow up if we shoot it. You can stop him and the, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to be cold-hearted here and kill Jennifer Conley, but I feel like if you're like, we're definitely going to lose the war that hasn't started yet if they get this rocket pack, you got to let the one girl die. (laughs) I mean, like, you've already pointed out they cannot get away. You just need a gun. Also, uh, whoever created the windows on that thing oh, that's did not do a good job. One of many pieces, because let's just run it down real quick. The Zeppelin appears out of thin fucking air. Uh, it, it is Everyone says, dear God, don't even sneeze near this thing. It will explode in a, an instant, which is, again, proved accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, this thing goes up quicker than the Hindenburg. At least it made it to its destination. <laughs> the Zeppelin takes off. The uh, the Rocketeer manages to steal, which, by the way, I didn't realize his, his that's his gun that he uses in the comics to the Mauser he picks up. Yeah, yeah. That's a German gun. Why does he use that? But um, anyway, so he takes off. I assume he picks it off of a soldier. I don't know if I missed that part. Um, yeah, they never really show where he gets it. He just has it all the time. Like, it's like laying on the ground as if, like, there's just a bunch of them around the park. Or he the... takes off and he crash lands, which he does, like, every time he flies. He's yeah, he's never touched real... <laughs> One of my notes is, Jesus, this is the least heroic hero I've ever seen in my life. He never manages to do anything right. And he... he... He crashes he into the rudder hard, and he he like he tears some of like the the fabric of the like the, the rudder, and he like pulls on a cord. We then like cut to the the cockpit where the guy's like, "My God, I can't steer!" And I'm like, yeah. "Oh my God, this <laughs> thing it's like, sucks!" It's like you're telling me two cords were what was making this thing work. Like fucking, <laughs> like boats have a harder, like have a more complicated system, and they're like, "Well, we're dead," and I'm like, "Well, you'll eventually get to where you're going. Germany's in that." vague direction you're heading it's like uh, someone but, someone tangled one course this thing's just gonna drift into the ocean now yeah we brushed a tree we're fucked um <laughs> this also is like another moment where as you pointed out the monster guy needs a nerf because they're like we'll get somebody to fix it and they said that fucking monster because he shows up and he has a giant wrench which one i don't know what he needed a wrench for there's no bolts on the outside of a of a blimp they're not bolted together but what's great is i was like 
seriously he's also like he's the super muscle he's he carries two guns and now he's also a trained zeppelin mechanic like this guy is the greatest find the nazis ever made but then (laughs) this was also a great moment so they're worried because they're like oh no we're just flying in a general direction which doesn't seem like that scary you know what i mean when you're in a blimp you're going like 25 miles per hour and you're just like we're just gonna cruise in a general direction but the commander's like for the first time he speaks in english he's like don't worry my pilot's the best in the world he'll get us there safely and suddenly that guy who he had fallen off the side of the ship flies in breaks through a window hits the pilot who then immediately falls backwards and falls out of a separate like in like two seconds the guy's like best pilot and he just falls out i was like it's like a benny hill skit it's pretty comical i mean yeah it's it's a i mean this is a big man sure but he hits this window and it fucking goes up like sugar glass it just yeah it disintegrates it's, it, and and this guy falls backwards what, but it doesn't it, fall backwards he falls for some reason to the right because backwards would have just right. been into the blimp and he would have been fine he falls a little to the right he he, he doesn't even put his full weight on the window. Like, his elbow touches it, and it disintegrates into nothing. And then he goes out. And for the rest of the scene, four more people will break a window and either fall, fall out. out or nearly fall out. <laughs> they, they must have been, like, the cheapest. Like, 30s glass must have been the worst glass in the world. I One of my notes is just, like, Jesus Christ, man. Increase the budget on your windows and your blimps. Also, why did you need this many windows? It's a blimp. And, and uh, it's... So after the Rocketeer deals with the man on, uh, on the on the top and he comes down into the plane and confronts uh, Neville, Neville is standing... This, this part confused me deeply. It's a classic hostage scene where Neville has the gun to Jenny's head. Uh, he's uh, standing there behind him, or at least two German soldiers, I think. And, yeah. he's, and he's standing there gunless because he fell off the Zeppelin and fell and, fell, fell and killed yeah, somebody. Immediately so dropped it the second he uh, pulled it out. So he's just standing there with a rocket, fully indoors, on a, on a Zeppelin he knows will explode if he uses his rocket anywhere near his internal components. And Neville points the gun at Jenny while standing like four, like a, like a good 40 feet away, and it's like, give me the rocket pack. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe shoot the guy. <laughs> yeah, it's great, because then, like, then once he gives him the rocket pack, I'm like, yeah, you would just shoot that guy then. There's, you don't need at, to, at any point. There's no like gentleman's agreement between the two of you. As soon as he gives you the rocket, I guess the only argument would be he was afraid to shoot him because the blimp would instantly explode if someone fired that's a gun. The only thing I can take. Yeah, that's got to be it. Because they're made of all kerosene. But then Jenny <laughs> fires a fucking flare gun in and lights the entire thing on fire, which is just like, ugh, not a great moment here for the female character. Uh, Neville goes to run away with the rocket, which had had a bullet hole in it earlier and had been plugged up with gum. And uh, our hero, whose name I forget in the movie, we'll just call him Billy, uh, <laughs> pulls the gum off, and uh, we get a terrible special effect of Roger Dalton burning alive as he falls to the ground. Then followed by a second death of a villain by uh, <laughs> by being burned alive. I was like, wow, back-to-back flame deaths. Interesting choice. But the blimp blows up, and the ugly face man is tied to it and can't run away. Luckily, Howard Hughes is there with his helicopter airplane, and they all go to safety. (laughs) It's a a weird ending to a film. It wraps up very quick. (laughs) 
I, I love that you fun the Zeppelin, but also movies. Give me more Zeppelin movies. Just, just I need uh, more finales on Zeppelins, please. Thank you. I mean, I, just... I, I feel like maybe that was Roger Dalton's like note. He was like, I didn't get a B in View to a Kill, so I <laughs> want you to put a blimp <laughs> yeah. in this. Yeah. I was cheated out of my James Bond blimp. I mean, the movie. rocket is essentially a James Bond gadget, all, all, all told. But uh... Yeah, and the bubble gum. All James Bond gadgets. Yeah. <laughs> MI6 has like 15 of those things um, at this point. But so I think putting a button on this movie. Yeah, I mean, like, I know there's so much to make fun of. We have we have 50 minutes worth of material that we've just mocked. But yes, there's and what, I, I just I, I've rewatched this movie, folks. If you guys do watch this movie, there is something that I want you to look for, which is the really, really bad PV stunt double. Every time the Rocketeer takes off next to him and he gets blown away. It is so clearly not the same man. <laughs> like, he's like a 25-year-old man wearing the worst wig in the world to try to look like Alan Arkin. I would watch it for that. I would watch it, I, I would say, I guess, watch it if if you don't mind slow-paced movies. Because the movie takes a really long time to get going, and then it wraps up, like, super quick. And then yeah, kind of tried to set it up for a sequel, it seemed like, which was an odd choice. Yeah, and and, and in, in sort of behind-the-scenes information, we learned that they definitely were intending on sequels, but the box office reception was pretty lukewarm, uh, if not cold, on this movie, and it didn't really rock the box office, so it never actually got picked up for another movie. That said, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I was able to find some, like, uh, some, I'm just, let's see if I have them here, some copies of the, the original um, comic, and, I mean, and they, named, they, they nailed the look you know, uh, from the comics. And the I, I couldn't really quite find a, a perfect origin story to reference to see how well they actually nailed however he finds the rocket pack in the I, I believe comics. it's the same plot. Is but I think it's finds, very similar. Somebody hides it in his, uh, his hangar and he finds it, if I remember right. Because I read the Wikipedia article about the comic because I've never read it. But, um, yeah, so didn't you have, like, a weird fact from the... Uh, the creator dave stevens about his opinion of this movie yeah i, I read a quote where he said that they they got his character as he put it 70 percent correct uh, he didn't quite specify what 30 percent was wrong <laughs> he said he liked the casting of the film more or less and that he felt that they they provided him a good action story to play with but uh i don't quite know really what his criticism was i guess he was just being polite by not <laughs> by not being directly you know uh a, a negative about the film but uh yeah apparently uh didn't upset the creator of the, of the comic which is not the case for uh a lot of movies we've seen we know we know for a fact that alan moore and uh who made the 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 uh fantastic <laughs> oh yeah league of extraordinary gentlemen yeah yeah uh, not, not huge fans <laughs> not huge fans yeah really anytime alan moore's mo- comics are made into a movie he's not a fan so uh, yeah, I guess it's good that the guy liked it. It's just is that's like the weirdest way. Instead of just being like, yeah, it was pretty close to the way I liked it. He was like, let me break it down for you. Seventy <laughs> percent. I did the math. Spot. Yeah, I, I've got a notebook at home if you need to see my long division. But so I guess Ben's gonna come down strongly that you guys should watch this movie if you didn't watch it. Yeah, honestly, like if you, I will just say that I remember liking it, and I think that young Ben wasn't stupid to think that. 
that's that's my that's my take on the movie <laughs> uh, my take from most things that i liked when i was young was like i i must have had more patience <laughs> because yeah. now i'm like jesus will something happen i remember liking this movie though when i was a kid i remember liking the rocketeer a lot uh never reading the comic though which is odd but i guess we'll just have to agree to disagree this time maybe i don't even know at this all point. i'm saying is i will just... say i i'm the one who rented it twice so i must have liked it a little or something <laughs> All I'm saying is just picture any movie, Pogues, any movie, and in the third act, out of nowhere, one of the characters yells in German, and a bunch of Nazis and a Nazi Zeppelin show up. Name a movie where that movie is now not better. I can't. Citizen Kane? Exactly. Now the greatest film ever made. <laughs> what is, Fuck, what is Ro- it? Rosebud is the name of the blimp. What, what does it keep whispering? Come <laughs> <It's>, with <laughs> Yeah, what I uh, well, that I think I think it covers it for the Rocketeer. Um, it's a it was a, definitely a fun takeaway from our usual movie fair, which has a obnoxiously like overdone superhero premise uh, that took yeah, forever yeah. to nail down. So this was uh, a little more wholesome. <laughs> and put I will together. say, between the three uh, pulp kind of movies we watched, The Phantom, The Shadow, and this, I would say if you were going to watch one, just watch this. <laughs> It was the least aggravating, probably. Um, well, with that, I would say, uh, please, for the love of God, if you have a comic book movie that you saw when you were young and you think was pretty good, you need to tell us. Because guess what? Next episode, we're doing it. That's how this works. That's the system. That's right. I'm here to tell you that you were stupid as a child for liking <laughs> this. And I'm here to desperately try to pull this podcast into a positive direction. But guess what? I broke the rudder on the dirigible, which is this <laughs> podcast. It was so flimsy. It was. I didn't even mean to, really. I just walked by and it just fell off. I saw. Is this yarn? <laughs> Jesus, Germans, get it together! There's a war coming. I'm gonna want to figure these things out.